0: doing my best for these kids. These kids deserve to come out a winner. The seniors deserve to win.
1: And it is Virginia Tech. This isn't some rinky-dink-ass program. I don't know if I could follow that one up. I'm yelling into the void, <laughs> and that's what I like doing.
2: Pete, nobody's <laughs> looking at your tweets. Now, all of a sudden, I'm sitting in this
0: chair, and I told him, you know what? I'm still crawling my hands and these to work here. I, I just want to be here.
2: Those situations are the worst. When you are on top yeah. of another guy. You can't
1: blame a lost awake on lack of resources. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison.
0: Believe me, the last thing I want to do is Ever talk about J.C. Price? I don't want to talk about these great student athletes we have and about trying to get them a win.
1: That's your boy. That's your judge of character.
0: I keep pinching myself.
1: I want to know what you're drinking, Robbie. It is roasty goodness, even though I was what's out. What's the m- percent on that? Eleven. Fighting for social justice by drinking. I I appreciate that. We're gonna put this old guy in a grave. Hey, mom, why don't you try a rail? Our story's not written. You know, our book's not finished.
2: You know, what's it gonna say? And I mowed the lawn after work before the podcast.
1: Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthaud and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech beat Virginia 29 to 24, Robbie. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the new coach, but there's a third reason I'm excited, and that's because we have a guest on the pod with us tonight. Joe Lanza, thank you for coming on with
0: us. Hey guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no,
1: no problem at yeah. all.
2: Uh, you are, your introductions are always so uh, expansive, and uh, but Joe is a welcome guest on here and somebody that we've had on before, and obviously the founder of The Key Play, which is one of the best well-known um, Virginia Tech football and really Virginia Tech sports websites out there and uh, came to join us once again. We've known Joe for a long time and uh, awesome to have him on.
1: Yeah, we had Joe yeah, on I, when we did the coaching search many years ago. So it's about time we brought him back now that we have another new coach.
0: Wow. Was that for football or for basketball? I can't remember.
1: It was football. It was when we, Beamer was retiring. We uh, we brought you uh, on to discuss candidates. Now, we're a little bit more down the process this time because we have our guy <laughs> as of today. But, yeah, we went over all the candidates back in 2015 with you, and it was it was interesting. We've had you on a couple times since, but it's been it's been a couple of years since the last time you came on with us, but why don't we get Robbie to kick us off with a cheers and we'll hop into all all the gory details of what happened this past weekend and just the last couple of days. I'm stuck in a weird cheers now, so we have a
2: new coach at Virginia Tech, so I think everybody is ecstatic and trying to figure out and place where we fit in the whole coaching carousel and what that's going to end up meaning for Virginia Tech. I won't lead too much because we're going to have a big debate and a big discussion about this, but I'm excited. I think it's a awesome candidate and an awesome hire for Witt Dabcock to bring into Virginia Tech. And I think the initial uh, hire with J.C. Price and, and, and what we're doing there is awesome, so we will see how things go from here, but
1: I am I'm pumped. Cheers. Yeah, there's been, I wouldn't say mixed reviews, but different takes on the situation. And we'll get into all the pros and cons, his career, what led up to this point, and some of the knocks people have on him. But first, let's hop into just the AP poll and the committee rankings. The committee rankings came out tonight. One through four was Georgia, Michigan, Bama, and Cincinnati, with five Oklahoma State and six Notre Dame. I'm that's what I expected after Michigan beat Ohio State and we had Bama just holding on for dear life against Auburn and what was it four overtimes but again if Cincinnati takes care of their business it's starting to seem like they'll get in but if Oklahoma State beats Baylor what do you think's going to happen there this is basically insanity what could possibly happen right now because
2: you have Cincinnati right there and people are going to be going after fickle. So like you, the coaching carousel actually has to take place within the framework of what's happening right now in the actual college football playoff, because Brian Kelly just left for LSU and there's a, not a clear path, but there's a path for them to make it into the playoff without a head coach. Um, it, it the whole thing is very, very bizarre, but I think they got the rankings right. I just don't know how it's going to transpire, given what's happening in the coaching carousel
1: yeah, with with Notre Dame uh, sitting there with potentially without a coach and and having a chance at the playoff it's it's one of the more peculiar things that's ever happened. I, well, Joe, we haven't talked to you about this. Like, Do you think Cincinnati has a decent shot of getting in if they go undefeated, or if Oklahoma State has one loss, are they getting in over them?
0: With Cincinnati, I think it's got to be encouraging for them that they're fourth, right? Like that they moved up. What was it last week they broke into the top four? Um, so I think it's encouraging that they maintained in the top four, especially after Oklahoma State's, uh, you know, Bedlam win, right? Like that could have been, you know, the committee could have justified, you know, because Although I guess the committee didn't value, you know, Oklahoma as much because they were hanging around at six. Is there is Cincinnati's opponent in the? Do they have a title game? Is it locked in yet? Do they know who they're going to? It's gonna Houston. Yeah, eleven Houston? one. Houston. Yes, yeah, so, I mean that's another opportunity for a good, you know, win. Obviously, Oklahoma State, you know, would get a better win over Baylor. I mean, I think it's just really hard to leave out an undefeated team. I know Cincinnati's not. You know, power five. Um, but they have, I think, you know, demonstrated over the last couple of seasons that they have some pretty good dudes on that team and it's a pretty, you know, solid program. I don't know if it's going to, I think it would, you know, kind of break this uh, kind of like it would be a shatter the glass kind of moment. But I guess if the playoffs expanding, that's not going to matter too much anymore. I don't think it's going to matter much because whoever that fourth spot is is just going to get their ass put by Georgia anyways. So I don't really (laughs) think, but I do think it would be good for them. I I mean, I'm rooting for them to get in personally. You know what I mean? Like I don't think they should be left out. You know, Oklahoma State, um, I haven't watched too much of them this year, so I can't speak on them too much. I haven't watched a ton of like Big 12, you know, other than the marquee games that have been on. But mostly, you know, Oklahoma I've seen play a few times. I've seen Baylor play a few times. Uh, I'm not sure Oklahoma State with the loss is brand name enough to like jump them. I think if it had been like uh, in Oklahoma or an Ohio State or one of the other, you know, more blue chippy, you know, type programs, like maybe even in Notre Dame, you know, I don't know if they'll, you know, I, I think their path without the conference championship now is, you know, what you know people have to lose. But, yeah, I don't know if they're going to be able to justify putting in a non kind of like, you know, uh you know, blue blood program over them.
1: Yeah. It's interesting that Oklahoma state, because of the jerseys, they wear, not being Oklahoma or an Ohio state. It may end up keeping them out. Like if, because if that's, if that's Michigan Ohio state or whoever sitting there with one loss behind Cincinnati after the championship games, like they're probably in over them, but Oklahoma state, it kind of just leaves this little bit of wiggle room and Notre Dame. I do assume wouldn't, hop Cincinnati like they haven't hopped them Cincinnati beat them it looks as if they're safe from that scenario as long as they win but uh, Notre Dame if they were sitting there and it was a different G5 who hadn't beat them who's undefeated Notre Dame would probably get (laughs) in
0: yeah I I, yeah and I sure qualified a little bit there I I think if Notre Dame were to get in over them I think exactly it's that scenario had it been another you know G5 team but with the head-to-head I don't know how you could ever justify that. You know what I mean? Like it just would not make sense. Um So I don't really I guess if they went out they should, they should be pretty good.
1: Yeah. And we also had Pitt in the committee rankings. They came in at 15. I think Wake was 16. And so that's going to set up quite the championship game. It's not it's not what we're used to in the ACC. But yeah, it's 15th ranked Pitt and and uh 16th ranked Wake Forest going at it in Charlotte. um, uh, we're going to pick that game later and it could be some offensive fireworks could be a really fun game.
2: It's hard to actually say this out loud, but they were the two best teams. And actually I'm kind of excited to see them in the championship game. I know I'd rather see Virginia tech or somebody else in there, but it seems like it's actually going to be kind of a legit matchup with two of the teams that are, let's just put it this way, like not the most, uh, exciting they're not in, sexy they're yeah. not the sexiest yeah, they're, they're not <laughs> acc sexy. teams that exist uh is this a worse matchup
1: hate. or is the gt wake from 06 a worse matchup for the championship game oh no the gt
2: that that, that gt wake is way worse than this game
0: <laughs> i think all the clemson matchups have been most of them have been other than you know Texas. i'm trying to think if there's been anyone else who has kept you know clemson you know, the unc clemson oh.
1: one i think was decent for a while with Marquise Williams. Um, but yeah, there haven't been a lot of great ACC championship games. I think back to the 2010 Florida state Virginia tech was pretty awesome. Obviously the 2016 Clemson Virginia tech was pretty great. Um, and, and there's been some lower tiers that have kept it competitive for a little while, but this one has the potential to be the best in, in a long time.
0: From a game perspective, I agree. I think it's going to be a shootout and should be a pretty back and forth, uh, football game like i don't particularly maybe i would give hits defense just traditionally because Narduzzi just being a defensive guy like i would say they probably have you know a defensive edge in the game um but yeah i I mean wake can put up points and pick and put up points so it should be pretty fun to watch and it's nice it's in it's in prime time too i believe right that's the eight o'clock game or one of the eight o'clock games i think so
1: so. i think it's a night game yeah
0: yeah it'll be i mean traditionally the night games have just been really bad
1: because Clemson. (laughs) Well, this, this is not a national college football podcast. This is a Virginia tech football podcast. So we are going to get to the Virginia game in full, but I do want to talk about our tough week in hoops last week. It didn't go well in Brooklyn or yeah, it was at the Barclays, right? Uh, We lost both games. We are now five and two. We're still 27th in the Ken Palm. But we just shot terribly up there, got re- out-rebounded like crazy in the Memphis game. We still managed to take a late lead, but we they, they pulled away at the end. And then if you go to the Xavier game, they were without a few guys, so it kind of felt like right before the tip. Like it, I felt good about our chances. And, again, we did not shoot well. Storm Murphy had just a terrible couple of games. And even still, we fought, and we were there – and had the tip-in attempt by Mutz, but couldn't close the deal. I was just, I was so disappointed in the team last week. Not so disappointed in the results. I'm not disappointed in the way they tried. They just didn't shoot well. There's not a whole lot you can do if you don't shoot well.
0: Yeah, just look at all the pieces just weren't clicking yet. Like, they're just not a cohesive unit, I think. I think there's a lot of good a lot of good parts, but they just don't know how to really fit together. But those were definitely two winnable games. Um but the, I mean, they can they can reconcile all of that uh, tomorrow night with the trip uh, to Maryland. I mean, that would be a good win. But I guess as it stands, it seems like Maryland struggled a little bit this year. But still, I think that's a good would be a good road win come tournament time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Maryland coming up on Wednesday night. It's a it's a massive game just because of the regional. Uh... Pitting against the two teams, and I I hate Maryland personally, First from the days of the ACC, even though we weren't in it for so long with them, but all of those matchups were always seemed like a war with Grievous Vasquez and whatnot, and I can't wait to take them on and hopefully beat them, but I'm holding out hope that Storm Murphy kind of turns it around, because like you said, Joe, the chemistry of the entire team it's been there a little bit, and, and we saw some flashes with like the alley oop and all, all the exciting plays that we've seen in some of the lower tier games. But I want to see us against a power five opponent, you know, really come together and play with that chemistry that we were so used to seeing last year. And I know, I believe that Storm will get on track, but his three point shooting uh, has not been what I quite expected so far this year. I always defer to you on these types type of things but we are not
2: driving the paint like very well whatsoever and that's every game i keep watching i'm keep. i don't know that we have that ability right now in the program like we have the ability to on perimeter pass it around and like find an open shot but like somebody to drive and then like draw foul like you remember 2 years ago 3 years ago i mean that's what we lived off of and um right now storm i think is missing that ability for us to get like you know get fouls get on the get on the line and just drive the paint and you know draw foul whether he's getting it in or not and sometimes we had we had people that are more capable maybe but that is a glaring deficit right now in, in
1: this team from what he's, he's has at point of guard. No, I think, I think you nailed it, man. I mean, we don't have Radford. We don't have the Justin Robinson type. We don't even have the Ahmed Hill type of anyone that can just kind of take it to the rack when, when you need to. And like you said, get fouled or make the shot or dish for an open three. And, Naheem has been playing well. I mean, he had 21 in the Memphis game and four assists. He had 18 in the Xavier game and five rebounds. But it seemed like, I don't know what's going on with Aluma. He can't rev up the engine so far either. Uh, I expected him to be our leading scorer, and right now Naheem's the leading scorer. And Murphy, again, like you're right. Like He hasn't been able to drive. Um, I expect a little bit more out of him. And even his assist-making hasn't been there, to the point where he did get pulled it seemed like to me, for Padula at the end of that Xavier game.
0: Yeah, and I, I thought that was actually a bright spot with Padula there at the end. I, I think Storm was on uh, four fouls, but you're right. He didn't come back in until I think it was, like, the final possession is when uh, Young put him back in. He trusted Padula, and I thought Padula played pretty well. The only thing he didn't do was he he didn't close out on that one three-point. Like, he just kind of got stuck in no man's land, and that ended up being the difference, but that was a pretty big just – there's a freshman. I'm pretty sure he's even a true freshman. Yep. Um which he's gonna learn from that. Um but I, I I was personally encouraged by uh how he played. I thought he uh played pretty played pretty solid.
1: Yeah, he definitely gave us a spark and hopefully that will develop right. as the season goes on.
0: And you're you're right. Storm is you know, Padua is not I don't think Padua is gonna fill in the void of what folks thought storm would bring to the squad, you know, in the preseason, you know what I mean? So if we're banking on Padula moving forward, then um, might have to, you know, recalibrate expectations, but it's, it's early for storm. I mean, he's, you know, he's new to ACC play. Um, You know, he's, it's a new level of competition. Um, It's early in the season. So, and he's not uh, the only one
1: struggling on this team. Like, I mean, uh, uh, him and, and Aluma are supposed to be our two best players and they're just not playing all that well.
0: I thought Aluma would have much more of a presence inside, like just attacking, uh, especially the kid from uh, Xavier. I know he had some size, but I thought Aluma was, you know, just more not in that game specifically, but just, you know, overall watching uh, the, the Xavier big play and just having seen Aluma's game over the last you know year and whatever. Uh, you know, I thought Aluma had the the finesse and power to, to win that matchup inside, it just, didn't feel like that that's where they wanted to go with it, which yeah. I thought was kind of,
2: a- I think a Luma, it feels a lot like he's playing on his heels, like a little bit, like in comparison to what his talent level is. And you know we know what he can do when he's playing like the top end of his game. And it's just, it looks like he's a little bit, almost hesitant, like in comparison to what, you know, he's capable of, but, um, Yeah, it's early in the season and hopefully it starts to develop and we're about to hit ACC play here soon.
1: Yeah, let's hope it develops on Wednesday night when we play Maryland on the road. A little bit of housekeeping. Stickers are still for sale via donation, $5. If you enjoyed the podcast over the years and you feel like you want to give back, Donate 5 bucks to the podcast. You can pay me on Venmo. All the details are on our website, 2DeepVT.com backslash merch, or just check the pinned tweet on our Twitter page to figure out how to send us a little bit of cash. Um, And when you do get the stickers, if you do receive them and you stick it to your cooler or fridge, uh, send us a picture and we'll retweet it. Let's get to some of the stuff about the game. Injuries first. Trey didn't play until the very end, and we'll talk about his recovery on the onside kick Waller didn't play, and even Lacetus went down at one point. Uh, but in general, it wasn't uh, the most. It was not as ugly as the Miami game in terms of like the guys just getting taken out on stretchers. It seemed like. Um, let's hop into the the recap in earnest. We had a QB draw on third and three on the first drive, so we'll hop right into some decision making here. Um, they knew it was coming, and then we had to punt or we chose to punt from the forty one. UVA scored on the ensuing drive of the pass to Woods. Dorian Strong jumping out of the way as the guy was going into the end zone. And I don't know about you guys, but there was a lot of a lot of talk on Twitter about Strong, like he should just get on the bus now. <laughs> it did not look good. Let's just put it that way. And him backing off that hit. So uh... it it was what they call a I business saw, decision.
0: I saw yeah, <laughs> yeah, business decision. And I think Tisdale also on that one also was part of the decision making. Yes. I thought the both of them kind of. And I think you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, if you know, but like what I was thinking of when I saw strong do that is like how disappointed his dad probably is in him. His dad is <laughs> you know, me a few times. His dad is like jacked out of his mind. Like, you know, I don't know if he's a bodybuilder or just a strength, straight guy, but I was like, Oh boy, he's going to get it. <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs>
1: well, it's a good thing that we didn't bench him for the rest of the game. Cause Dorian strong proved to be very valuable later on. We answered back with the bomb to Robinson an absolutely beautifully thrown ball, 61 yards. That tied the game. UVA responded with another touchdown to make it 14-7. We got the long run from Braxton Burmeister on our next drive. We couldn't get it in the end zone. We had the incomplete pass by Blumrick on fourth down, and I was just so disappointed in that play in general. But on the following drive when UVA's kind of moving the ball, we got the huge interception by Daly. It looked like they were going to score, and we stopped them on that drive. We capitalized with the 18-yard blackshear td run to tie it at 14 armstrong ran for the touchdown on the next drive bulldozing three of our guys at the line another play right at the end zone line which will come up again i was just again blown away that n- none of our three guys could take him down at that point
0: i don't know i could want to talk about blackshear for a minute i thought blackshear looked really you know, i'll yeah. stick it on a positive thing but i thought blackshear looked really really good it's kind of like i don't i don't know how he wasn't getting like first team carries like all year uh but I thought he looked really, really good. Yeah,
1: we're, we're with uh, you 100% on that, absolutely. And right before the half, there was a weird sequence where we seemingly go three and out, but they rough our punter. We start driving. We get all the way down to the 14, but we can't punch it in, and we kick a field goal to make it 17-21 to 21 at the half. UVO, opened the second half with a field goal to make it 24-17, and shockingly, that was the last time they were going to score on the afternoon. We've responded with a six-play 81-yard drive, powered by Raheem Blackshear. 78 of the 81 yards on that drive came from him on just three carries. We scored on the Philly special to honor Blackshear City. Tavion throws the pass to Burmeister, and we tie the game at 24. On the following drive, Tisdale got the sack on Armstrong, and that's when his ankle got twisted. And that seemed to be very important down the stretch. UVA fumbled a drive later. We drove 63 yards on 12 straight rushes and kicked a field goal. There was a QB sneak on third and two that we didn't convert, and that led to the field goal. So we took the 27-24 lead. It was the first lead of the game that we had, and there were just so many fumbles and balls rolling around in the end zone in this game. UVA had a fourth and three at their own 16. We got pressure. They fumbled, and somehow they recovered, even though it looked like Tizgel jumped on top of it. And we got the safety. So it's 29-24, to and UVA does their onside kick attempt. Trey recovers the ball, and then it looks like we're going to be able to run out the clock. But, of course, we throw Blumrick back in the game with this swapping of the QBs we're doing. He fumbles it, gives it back to UVA, and at that point, I'm absolutely terrified. Were you guys convinced we were going to lose the game at that point? 100%. I had no
2: doubt that we were going to lose the game at that point.
0: (laughs) I wasn't feeling good about it. I would like to jump back to the Philly special play call just for a second. (laughs) I will keep my uh, Brad Cronelson superlatives to a minimum, but I, I thought that was an awesome play play call. And I feel like he's had a knack over the years of like calling, you know, gutsy play plays like that in the red zone that actually uh, have hit. But then, The the blum putting Blumrick back into the game to run whatever the hell he was running to then put that FOMA just since no one could see this, everyone's just shaking their head here. It's just I don't understand how you could. He at sometimes he he actually looks very, uh, you know, and this is just over his tenure, has looked really competent and has had the right play at the right time. Then other times, either by doing something. Uh, so asinine or just going away from what's working has just really been his undoing. But yeah, I thought just the, I don't know. I thought the Philly special was a, was a pretty good, it was, game. it was amazing. I thought I, it was, was,
1: I jumped out of my perfect, seat. Perfect play call. It really it was, was great.
0: So it was great
1: after the safety it's 29, 24, they got the ball back and they are driving. They're inside of our 10 yard line and they try the stupidest trick play I've ever seen where they throw it backwards to Haskins, the offensive lineman. And to Strong's credit, he totally redeems himself by knifing into the backfield and taking an offensive lineman down who weighs 120 pounds more than him to make it 4th and 13. And on that 4th and 13, they throw the incomplete pass. Uh, Actually, it was a tip by Daly, but it was an incomplete pass. And the Hokies win 29-24. That last sequence, that last quarter, was just so crazy where I thought we were going to definitely win and definitely lose multiple
0: times. <laughs> that play call by UVA, I don't know if I've ever seen a worse play call on offense ever. <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, just. No,
2: I had people coming in my office today that are UVA fans saying, like, what do you think they were trying to do? And I just looked at them and I was like,
1: I, ha- I have no clue. Like, I, I don't I even think know. It was a screen. I honestly think it was a screen to do no, there, But line. there was no screen involved. It
0: has I, to be I a screen. But that's
1: what it looked like. I don't know. When, I, you're, I don't when know. you're an
0: offensive lineman, you, you're your own blocker and ball yeah. carrier. You just do it all. You do it all. You're yeah. your own screen. And he wasn't even
2: running forward. He just, like, <laughs> caught it. And, like, he looked like he was surprised that he got was, the ball. Pass and, flat.
1: <laughs> I mean, he, he peeled off that line like a tight end taking a like a screen pass but you're right there was no one in front of him and i don't know if he was supposed to throw it but whatever it was didn't work and our you know 175 pound db took him down absolutely no problem it was it was incredible
0: it's it's a great example of something that sounds really good on paper or in theory and everyone's like oh yeah this is really gonna work and then it it happens and everyone's like (laughs) Why did we ever think this was good? Like, sounded good at the time.
1: And, <laughs> like, all it. the UVA stuff that I read the next day was just, no one could make sense of it. They're all just, like, one guy, I think, said this is worse than UMBC. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even check to see if Bronco commented. That, I'm sure they had to have asked him about oh, it, he it in the did. post game. He, but I didn't. he,
2: de- he defended it and a little bit. He was like, yeah, it worked in practice. I was
1: like, well, like, well, I don't know if that speaks very well to your defense. <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah, their defense wasn't good. The story of the game to me was just our team's resilience again and again. And I would say the adjustments that were made in the second half uh, by Jay Ham and the defense, because we did only give up three points in the second half. So that was that was my story of the game. Did you guys see it that way?
2: No, I didn't. Uh, And I don't mean you and I usually are on the same page, but I think Tisdale sack basically changed the whole outcome of this game that that the Tisdale like we were getting demolished on offense. I mean, it was everybody knew how good Armstrong was. I think mine, mine is a little bit different that if Armstrong doesn't go down with what I think the three of us can agree is an injury um, in the way that he was throwing the ball after that. I think that would, yeah, I, I do think the defense adjusted, but I think they were helped out. Let's put it that way by the fact that he could not throw off his back foot. You could see it happening and it was, it was, um it was pretty glaring. And I, I think, Tisdale in my mind is the player of the game and he will, he will never be recognized as that, but like he's the reason that we came around with that W if he and had recovered that like
1: fumble in the end
2: zone, he really
1: would have been the player yeah. of the game. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. I definitely think that Armstrong's injury prevented him from driving the ball. Like you could tell he lost some zip on the ball, just maybe even some accuracy. Like he was not the same uh, thrower after that injury. So certainly that factored into it. Um, I do think the adjustments, you know, uh, you know, work. French kind of detailed that how they went into you know more of a a man kind of underlook in the second half. Uh, but I think uh, the the offensive line play, the play in the trenches uh, from Tech, was really really good. When when they were running the ball with uh, on the zone uh, with really just the zone scheme. I mean, it was just basic inside outside zone, and they were just the offensive line really got after UVA's front. Tech was just running the ball at will.
1: Yeah, that's that's actually very accurate. Like As far as storylines go, the running game was on point. And what do you know? We gave it to Blackshear. We were able to move the ball. I'll still never understand how he got two carries versus Miami. But in this game, he had a career day, 169 yards and a touchdown, 9.4 yards per carry. He finished the season with just about six yards of carry. He was shot out of a can in the second half. Joe was talking about the zone plays. I mean, the, the holes were huge, and he was nailing them. And I, it was so fun to watch. He was ACC running back player of the week. 320 yards on the ground as a team. I th- feel like we wore them down as the game went on too because the UVA defense was very bad early in the year. But later in the year, they had played a little bit better. Um, and we were just able to wear them down as the game went on. And you could tell we were gaining momentum slowly but surely. What did you guys think about Burmeister's play in this game? He did what he kind of had to do. I,
2: I mean, he, he had he was their second leading rusher, right in the game. I mean, he 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 had 12 carries for 115 yards. I mean, I yeah, what are you gonna uh, you know say about that? His passing was not elite. It was, he went to what, 16 for 14, 141 yards. He had a touchdown pass. He actually had a touchdown reception that came from Robinson and on the the trick play over on the left-hand side. So I thought it was Burmeister did what he needed to in a tough spot. And he, he ran his butt off again, just once again, he, he did what he had to, to come up with the W in this game.
1: I thought he played really well, and if you look at his 93 QBR, it kind of tells you how well he played, but why on earth were we swapping in Blumrick as often as we were? I, I get the fact that we've done it a little bit all year, but in and out and in and out with those two guys when clearly, clearly Burmeister was playing well and is the much better quarterback and can actually throw... I I was mystified why we kept putting Blumberg in. Joe, were you equally as befuddled?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Burmeister would have had uh, a much better game statistically, too, had he not been swapped in and swapped out. I think a big key was that early completion to uh, Robinson. Uh, that really, I mean, that's been the thing that's really been missing from the offense is having that vertical threat. So, like, I thought Burmeister, you know, when you connect on a pass like that, okay, like, UVA has to respect him connecting deep at that point. And it seemed like, again, who knows if they were actually options or not, but him keeping on some of those runs, um, it did force, um, you know, on designed runs, whether or not they were, you know, pre-designed reads or actual options, um, it did also force uh, UVA to respect him, you know, running, which, you know, opened things up for Blackshear even more, right? Like, I mean, that's kind of what I thought Offense this year at its best would look like like Burmeister right. hitting, you know, one or two long passes to stretch the defense vertically with you know Robinson, uh, Turner really, um you know Mitchell, and then having the you know that inside outside zone game with him as uh, the option threat on it. It just took them until game twelve to actually you know get there, and they still tried to you know <laughs> they still tried to to mess Andy it up themselves. themselves. They, right. they yeah. tried it, to hurt just, themselves. It's just unreal. Like It's just, it's like one of those questions you're not going to get an answer to because uh, they won. And even if they had lost, you're still probably not going to get a good answer of like why they're putting him in. But yeah, it made absolutely no sense.
1: No, it made no sense. And then he fumbled it to compound the issue later in the so, game correct. when he was only yeah, averaging correct. 2.8 yards a carry. Correct. And And I know he just played well against Miami. I know that... He had the long run, and his stats looked good against Miami, but it was pretty apparent by the second half. Like, just give it to Blackshear if you're going to run the ball. You don't need to give it to Blumrick. Leave Braxton in there the whole time. But I want to go back before we get into the defense quickly. The decision on the first drive was absurd to me because there was was basically three things that went wrong. You took out Braxton Burmeister on the third down. You did the draw play, a slow-developing draw play on third and three, and then you punted from the 41 against a team that you know can score points quickly. Like I, I know that JC kind of comes from the conservative, like school of Beamer, but like that was just outrageous to me. We didn't go for it on the first drive.
0: Yeah. The, the punt was the worst decision there. I mean that the punt was, you know, a good, uh, uh, felt like, felt like Fuente was there in spirit, you know, <laughs> they call him a punt. So, yeah, um, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't a fan of that. I think that was the worst. Yeah. Uh, worst of all. Oh, because, yeah, I mean, like, they set it up with the run on uh, the run on third down even made less sense at that point if you're going to punt, right? Like, if you're going to set up, like, you're going to run that sort of play. Okay, you're setting it up to go for it on fourth down, and then you're like, no, we're going to punt. Yeah. 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 It,
2: it, it, it's come back, like, we've said this a few times, like, the plays have to marry together. Like you don't get to do one thing and then choose something else, right? Like you don't get to run it there and then punt. Like, right. you know, like it has to be, it has right. to be a cohesive decision. The thought process has to go is, through
1: all four downs.
2: <laughs> right, exactly. Not just like, oh, well, we're just going to sporadically do this now. And so, yeah, I totally agree with what Joe said.
1: And then the later QB sneak on the third and two, um, which ultimately led to a field goal. But it was just like, that was a long two, and you try a QB sneak, like that's a, not going to work. Um, we were able to keep Armstrong off the field in the fourth quarter for the most part, and the ankle, ankle injury did help. But I do think that the defense played as well as could to be expected at this point in the season and against this offense. But UVA absolutely, to Robbie's point earlier, had huge mistakes at key moments both their fumble and interception came on what I thought were promising drives, which were easily going to score points. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'll
2: I'll give a Pollard on that play played his ass off. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Like the fact that, that he created that fumble, then actually, you know, got it himself um, on that was uh, chasing down. Thompson was, insane I, and tay daly i never really thought of him coming into this season of like he was going to be that much of a star player but if you look at our past three games like he's leading the team like in tackles i think overall like in in those games he has in like an intercept like he just continues um he had the breakup on the literally the game winning breakup on the fourth and 13 in the end zone to seal the game. Um, it's, it's been pretty incredible to watch him develop um, over the course of the season. And maybe I'm just naive, but I did not come out and think this season was going to be about, you know, his name and being called that much and, and how impactful he would be.
0: Well, Robbie was saying that I, would, I checked the roster because I couldn't remember if he was a junior or senior or not. And unfortunately, he's a senior. I'm not sure if he'll get. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he'll make it in the league, but he's certainly improved uh, from from start to end, which is really what you're looking for, right? Like it. And yeah, to your point, Robbie, I was surprised about how much uh, he has been impacting the game. A little bit. A little bit of that, I guess, is due to scheme and just really some of the um, what what they're facing on uh, the offenses that they're facing. But yeah, I thought he was. Um, I'm trying to think of. It. Is there anyone else who would be the defensive player of that game? I don't know. No. I no. well, yeah. he, had an
2: inter, he had an interception as well, which I didn't also right. hit right. But that like right. on top on top of all that. So, I mean, um, you could I, argue I
1: that Dorian Strong made some key plays in the game later as well, but like it it was Tay Daly. And I'll just echo kind of what you guys said. I he has improved throughout the year. Uh, I'm not sure I expected this much from him, but the funny thing about Daly is I couldn't always tell whether he was actually playing well or just like someone needs to make the tackle. And when you have DBs who are making tackles, um, sometimes that can just be what it is. Like, hey, you're the guy in the way, so you end up making the tackle. However, he consistently finds himself around the football. And to me, like, he has been great, and if he doesn't get thrown out in the Miami game, maybe we (laughs) would have had a chance to win.
0: He made that final... Deflection at the end too, right? Yep. Am I remembering this correctly? You yeah.
1: Are. Yep. Yeah. The That's two right. the two turnovers were huge. His and the fumble recovery as we we indicated, and we got ten points off of those. We had the safety, the backwards pass to the offensive lineman. I mean, UVA could not get out of their own way, but we right. did get four tackles for loss. We did have the pressure on um, on Armstrong, which is something Robbie and I talked about. Like we got to hit Armstrong. We got to get pressure on him because he is banged up. And what do you know? We hit him and we kind of hobbled him. And he wasn't himself after that. And it allowed us to really win the game. We held the ball for nearly 11 minutes in the fourth quarter because of our run game, because of a little bit of UVA ineptitude. Time of, time of possession win. Yeah, time of possession man. <laughs> but listen, we we needed to keep Armstrong off the field. Maybe not as much after he got hurt, but like that was the goal of the game, to keep Armstrong off the field. And that was clearly our game plan going in with the running game.
2: I'll just finish it off and then we can wrap wrap it up from my perspective. It was seven, what 76 yards rushing on the ground. The problem is, is that they had 414 yards passing. So it's a very mixed (laughs) thought on the defensive side of it, but on the ground, I thought we had to do, um, we had to hold them uh, accountable and we did, and honestly, after the first half of the game, I can't remember what the yardage is, but I know there was the injury, but Armstrong didn't really throw for much in the second half of the game. Yeah, I mean, they, they really locked things down. Whether that was injury-related or not, it was a
1: really nice defensive effort. Yeah, the yards per play from UVA was, was still very high, but to credit the defense, they made plays and forced fumbles and got interceptions at times when we really needed them so it was a sloppy (laughs) amazing win made possible by the team that really I mean I know JC he kind of speaks in cliches a little bit and this team never splintered but they really didn't and they really never quit because it wasn't looking pretty early in that game and they just kept fighting and sticking with the game plan and (laughs) we got an extremely important win to me because I desperately wanted to go to a bowl and I know that these kids do too, to echo Nick Saban. Like, no one wants to win more than the kids, right, on the team. So I, I know they really wanted to go to a bowl, and I know the fans did. And I'm just – I was so pumped after that game.
0: Yeah, I think it's the bowl and then, you know, losing to both UVA and WVU in the same season would just have been pretty <laughs> awful. And, all, and also, I think having all the – I think, you know – Six and six season, not great, but, you know, going out with a win against your rival, making a bowl, and then transitioning into, you know, the new coach, I think really just it was a nice burst of kind of uh, positive momentum for the program.
1: It sure as hell was, man. I agree. That momentum is big. And we had Price on the field after the game, smoking the cigar, the the. Gatorade bath, the fans rushing the field, the flag being planted by multiple offensive linemen on UVA's field. Um, the quote, this is this my school, this is home. Like, just incredible stuff after the game, which was just warming my heart even more and more as I watched the post game.
0: It, it was just energy that's been missing from the program. You know, JC was definitely a breath of uh, fresh air. Just you could tell how much it meant to him and how much – And it's, you know, I'm probably getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but it's great that they're going to end up retaining him. Just having having that guy on staff, I think, will be really great uh, for the transition. Just having, you know, having like a a North Star, like someone who gets the culture and can, you know, you know, guide a little bit there, especially in his new role, uh, I think is going to be really uh, impactful.
1: Yeah, you need those kind of anchor guys on your staff. And it was so easy to root for him these last two weeks and so such a pleasure to root for him in this team the last two weeks. And that was just, it was such a freeing feeling watching the team, the team play and every play you're just so amped up and pumped and happy for the coach and happy for the kids. And there's no, nothing hanging over your head or anything like that. It was just, it was great. Did you have that reaction, Robbie? Yeah, I, I definitely did, and
2: it's not—it's not a hateful reaction to like you know Fuente or anything like that. But it's there has been increasingly a cloud over the program that, uh, honestly, what I've felt is the fan base trying to navigate through, and that cloud was lifted. For at least a two week period of time. We'll see what happens in the future. And I'm not saying that there's everything's going to be better days ahead or anything like that, but there was a cloud lifted where you could just be free and excited for Virginia Tech, to your point. And that was, for me, uplifting. I've never watched, I, I think I sent a text to you guys, literally, and I was like, that was like one of the most fun games I've ever watched, even if we lost. Like, it didn't, it like, I just felt like it was just like a fun game. Nothing that was like no overhang, no anything. And just we kind of went at it and it ended up in, you know, us winning 17 of the last 18 over UVA, which is always going to be awesome. But in the end of the day, I, I, I watched the game and just enjoyed what I was seeing. And it was not great football at a lot of periods of time, but it was fun.
1: I mean, to think about that, thats 17 of 18, or I think it's 18 of 20, right? It's been 20 years of just dominance over UVA. The same feeling of euphoria we feel at the end of this game, at the end of these games, when we hit, you know, 13 and 14 and 15, and then we win yesterday, like, that devastation on the other side, whoo, I am glad I'm not there. I'll tell you that right now. That has got yeah. to be absolutely. UVA, brutal. UVA
2: fans were looking at me with like like the more death in their eyes than I've ever seen before. It just came like, and I was like, yeah. and the funny part was, I looked at all of them and I said, "You guys probably should have won that game. With, <laughs> you you have the, you have arguably the best quarterback and the best passing offense in the entire country." I, don't, I think we can all agree. I mean, they're and, really, really good on offense. And you threw – you did that on third down and then, like, the fourth down. Like,
1: and they were just – <laughs> That's what makes to, it so much didn't worse, right? Like, you've got yeah. Keaton Thompson. You've got Kemp. You've got Woods. And you throw to your offensive lineman, like, what in the hell? What in the hell are you doing? Oh, my yeah. God. It didn't come Roll down to one play, but Jesus –
0: it certainly plants a seed of doubt in that fan base's mind about where they're going. Like they, you know, I don't, I don't, I I think Armstrong stacks up very high, highly nationally. He's, he's among the best. I don't know. I don't know if he you know, is the best, but he's definitely in the conversation. Right. Um, but he's, he has to be the best quarterback they've ever had at their, he has to be the program's all time quarterback. Right. Like just, um, a, I think with a, a
1: single season passing, right. yes. I mean Perkins might have yeah. meant more to the team or MVP or whatever, but like this year statistically was
0: out of this world. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, but and they finished six and six or seven and five, whatever. Six and six. Whatever. Six and six. Right. This, they, this they, took they, us from five. This right.
2: is what tied us up. But both as six and six, which is even more beautiful.
0: So I mean you got to really be thinking like, well, you know, where's Bronco kind of taking us, which, you know, from our perspective feels, (laughs) that's how you kind of want the other side, you know, you know, feeling right. Like they're might be hitting that same, you know, malaise that, you know, tech fans kind of encountered at the end of 2018, I guess. Yeah. Um, And, and,
2: and Jay, you bring up a great point. I, I brought this up on the podcast a few times, but like, that's an instance that i used to say when fuente and whether it was brad or fuente or whatever when you're overthinking it you know what i mean when you're own in, when you're in your own head like you know overthink it's like dude you, you you have one of the most prolific offenses you know from a passing perspective in the entire country and that's what you call that's when you know it's in your own head. And then when they showed the sideline shot of him just, like, kind of shaking his head, I'm like, that dude is in his own head. That's a Fuente. Like o- That's a Fuente move right there. That is a Fuente moment, like, where you're it overthinking it. It's like, dude, just do what you're supposed to. Like, there's not, you don't have to overthink this. And he did, and it was horrible. Yeah. It was absolutely atrocious, like. It was. Um,
1: well let's we got to move on guys because we got to do coaching carousel we got to do uh the the hiring of brent pry which i'm pumped about and i want to get to that but first let's take a quick moment to talk about our sponsor downtown crown wine and beer and dominion wine and beer you guys know about these these places by now we talk about them every week uh we just we've heard from mirage a couple times this month he uh He's been nothing but a great sponsor to us. And you guys need to patronize these stores before the holidays because they have the best selection in the DMV. There's one right in Falls Church and there's one in Gaithersburg. So no matter where you live in the area, you're not too far. Gift cards from there make a great gift. I would choose, you know, wine, beer, whatever. You've got relatives. They need gifts. Dominion Wine and Beer and Downtown Crown Wine and Beer have you covered this holiday season. And you can also go there, hit up their taps. Hit up the tents outside at Dominion. Have a have lunch. You know, they've got a great selection on tap and in the store. Uh, so, again, we can't recommend them enough. Make sure to hit them up this holiday season. For now, Robbie, I need to know what you're drinking. So, right now, I'm having the Super...
2: I, I can't even do this. Super Nicolium. i I guess it is this is it's a west coast uh style double ipa it's from commonwealth which um you probably listen to this pretty often you know it's well it's eight percent volume colorful can just like all of the commonwealth beers are really good um it's a west coast uh double ipa which is kind of a mix of I mean, if you if you drink a lot of West Coast uh, IPAs, like obviously they have a very different flavor, um, and almost the complete opposite of you'd think of like yeah, like a hazy IPA. It's a lot bolder, and then it's a double on top of that. So it's it's intense, but like all Commonwealth beers, I like it. It's 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 good. Um, I would not. Uh, encourage anybody to have like two or three of these it's just like this kind of a single serving type beer but it is a a very good uh double ipa and i like it um and mixed with the west coast flavors which
1: is uh, a little bit bolder and 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 it's it's enjoyable nice i'm having a hopwork orange by blue mountain brewery this is another virginia brewery it's a hop work orange. It's got the orange peel flavor in it. Not a whole lot, not sweet. This is a traditional IPA with a bitter finish 65 IBUs, 7% alcohol, like right down the middle IPA, but just with that little bit of orange flavor. Like if you give this to someone and tell them like it's orange, like they're not going to taste it, but it's there. It's a slight taste on the palate before the bitter finish, and it is good. And I've had Blue Mountain a few times. I think it's from Arrington. Virginia, um, uh, Nelson County. No, isn't it, it's right outside of, isn't it outside of Charlottesville? It's it. Well, they might have multiple brew houses, but it's Nelson County barrel house, Arrington. VH. You're a traitor. I think it's right outside of, uh, uh outside of Charlottesville. <laughs> okay. I You've had some star Hills <laughs> on here. Let's not, let's not get into this. We beat no, them. I'm and you know kidding. what? The, the sad thing is the can is actually orange and blue, but that's okay. Cause we won. <laughs> um, Joe is drinking water, so we will move right into <laughs> some coaching I'll, <laughs> updates.
0: I'll give a review of a beer. I was, during the game, I was drinking, uh, I believe that, that's the Rocket Frog Surfing with the Alien. It was really good. I don't know if you guys have I, had I any. I don't think Rocket I've had that one. No,
2: I've had I've had Rocket F- Frog beers, but I've never had that one. Was it good?
0: Oh, it was delicious. Yeah, I mean, this nice. is, I, I'm not drinking beer, tonight because i've i've had many days of drinking beers in a row and i kind of tried i told myself i was going to take the week off from drinking beers but then again i'm going to go to this maryland game tomorrow so (laughs) probably not going to happen uh so but yes yeah we're all feeling
1: a, a little uh a little bloated a little full of beer after after last weekend at least i know i am so yeah yeah then again after a day off on Monday, I was ready to drink tonight. So <laughs> here we go. Uh, the coaching carousel. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this cause I want to get into pride, but like it has been wild. It's been a little crazy. And I, I was getting scared before we announced our coach today. I'm thinking wit is striking out, going down the list and we're going to end up with, uh, <laughs> Bill O'Brien or someone equally as terrible. And, um, I, I was pleasantly surprised today when the news broke. But Napier, one of our top choices, and at least according to ESPN, one of Witt's top choices, uh, denied us and went to Florida. Lincoln Riley has moved to USC, and Brian Kelly from Notre Dame has moved to LSU. When was the last time you can even remember blue blood coaches moving to other quote unquote blue bloods?
0: I think the the only thing, uh, and I couldn't, I I saw this on Twitter. Was uh, Jimbo going from FSU to Texas A and M? I mean, I think that's like the most recent one, right? Yeah,
2: that, I think that's the only one that actually exists, other than like Urban Meyer with you know getting you know whatever you know sickness he didn't have and then moving yeah. on. Yes. Uh, yeah, it, other, that, yeah. Other, yeah. If you go back good. into the
1: 70s and 60s, like yeah, sure, there might have been some, but like as far as modern day, there haven't been a lot. And to have two in one off season, and what most likely. I mean, OU and ND—they're not gonna like pick nobodies. Like they're probably poaching someone too. But he
0: had, I, I don't uh, know.
1: What
2: What did you think, uh, Joe, about the Napier to to Florida situation? Like, you know, was that more of a strikeout? On or, or my take, and not to lead the witness here, was we were going after him in Florida made him an offer, and it's Florida. Uh, That was kind of how I read it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I align with that. Um, You know, when you have, there was an article on ESPN at the beginning of the year where they talked about, it was like a profile on Napier, and they mentioned that Virginia Tech um, would be uh, a place that he could go at the end of the season. And this is like before, you know, this was at the beginning of the season. So you know that his agent is already kind of like some Someone from his camp is, like, getting that into ESPN. You know what I mean? Like, that's – there was some, you know, chatter at, at that point. You know, I, I've heard heard a few things about it. Um, so, yeah, I think when a job like Florida opens up, um, you know, that, that's a hard one to turn it's down. For, it's Florida. It's Florida. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, like, I right. do – yeah, exactly.
1: if Dan Mullen doesn't completely shit the bed – we probably Correct. have Napier as our head coach. Like it, there's uh, there's at least a, a better than 50% chance in my eyes because I do think that Witt went after him. Um
0: unless unless he goes to LSU or something like that. But yeah, if he doesn't take one of those other jobs, I think I think that might have been the outcome.
1: And Napier was also patient last year when South Carolina was open and he didn't just jump at that. So maybe he was waiting for all these dominoes to fall. So it's easy to say, well, he took Florida, so like he's not going to choose Tech. But like, there are other openings now that weren't open a couple days ago, and there's going to continue to be. So maybe he would have been more difficult to get because he would have still continued to be patient and not taken Tech. But either way, we're here now, and there's only a couple other. I mean, Washington got filled today, and we got filled today. So it's really OU and Notre Dame and then, You know some fill-in-the-blanks of whoever they take. But as far as the rumor mill went this past weekend, there was a lot of stuff going on, including Matt Campbell, potentially, to Virginia Tech, uh, the Mike Houston news, the Brent Pry news, and then Bill O'Brien as well. Late last night, um, less than 12 hours, basically, before the Brent Pry news broke, there was a lot of rumors that we were getting Bill O'Brien. And we kind of had a side text about it being like, I don't know how I feel about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, Bill O'Brien Bill would have been an interesting. I don't think he would have, he he certainly would bring the head coaching experience. I think that would have been a huge plus. I think how he handled Penn State in the aftermath of their sanctions would have been a huge plus. Working for Saban, working for Belichick, both huge pluses. I don't really, what what he did is like, general manager of Houston or, you know, honestly, to me, that doesn't really factor into it because it's, you know, that's a job, a role he shouldn't have really had anyways. But from a coaching standpoint, I think he would have been a very, very strong hire. The problem is, is, you know, you know, I think he would have been like uh, uh, a higher order of magnitude Fuente in terms of dealing with the fan base and the media, right? Which is, it's, it's like, you just got out of, this relationship with you know, with this person that none of your friends like, and now you're bringing in another person that your friends hate even more. It's just not um, uh, what Tech needed from from that standpoint. I think he would have been, other than that, you know, I think he would have been. And, and again, like, you don't know how long he would have stayed. You know, it could just be a, a pit stop until the next um, NFL gig, um, you know, I don't. I don't know if I would have envisioned him as a guy that's going to really, you know, uh, try to raise money, try to, you know, rally the fan base, like that sort of stuff, which is basically, you know, what this program needs, kind of more than anything right now, I think. So we need we need someone to
1: glad hand, like we we need the gregarious person out in the media, willing to get on the phone with donors and former players and all that kind of stuff. And Bill O'Brien is prickly. And he's well-known to be kind of a jerk. And so I wasn't excited about it, and it didn't happen. So that's good. As far as the candidates after Napier was off the table, I liked Huff, and I know Joe was a big Huff fan. I liked Dan Lanning. Robbie had brought him up. Uh, Pry hit the news wires maybe on Monday that his name was being floated around, and I instantly was like, yes, that's someone I hadn't really thought about, but I like that. And then... um, there's a couple other top choices out there, but like, I think for what was out there, the other opportunities that are coming and going in college football, I was happy, relieved, ready to move forward. When we got the Brent Pry news, is that how you felt Robbie?
2: Uh, no, I felt way more than that. Honestly, like I was, I was pretty ecstatic. Like, you know, I, we joked around, And I want to get Joe's thoughts on this as well, but it makes sense in so many different ways. Like, you know, from the defensive mindset, from coming from Virginia, having played in Virginia, from being a GA here, from, you know, you go all the way back. Um, to old school Vic and you know what happened during those seasons like back in the 90s and when like the culture started to establish itself. Um, everything that I've heard from every Penn State fan that you guys have quoted, but like a lot of others that have quoted to me have have basically said like it's a gut punch. To them like to to lose him and quite honestly the recruiting aspect of it i think could be really really impactful i mean we we remember like how many times and i'll i'll shout out the key play like how many times we sat on the key play about like penn state is like just robbing like the the players from virginia like how is this happening how is this happening like it, it kept happening and like he was very influential in a lot of those players that came out of areas that Virginia Tech should be recruiting. And like we sat on message boards trying to figure out, like, how did how did we lose these people? And they they're going to Penn State. So um, I, I I didn't I was I was honestly really, really juiced up about it. And maybe it's just me, but I, I was pretty excited. about. It.
0: I, I heard his name. I think it was like early. Sunday morning, like what I was hearing was I I heard a lot of Bill O'Brien and then from one contact I heard, you know, keep an eye on Pry. And I I hadn't heard his name before, so I didn't really kind of pay much mind to it. I thought it was gonna be O'Brien. Um so I wasn't and I think uh like Barber had also mentioned Pry. Um so then from there, you know you know, when I saw it, I wasn't I I still hadn't done like a, a deep dive into his background. I guess my initial reaction, some of it, because I hadn't actually done the, the, uh, the legwork. I, you know, I don't think, and I still think this now, it's certainly not a splashy hire. It's not like tech went out and, you know, poached a big fish or they got that like group of five candidate that has like, is the next big thing. But, you know, Justin Fuente was the next big thing until he wasn't right. I mean, that was a universally regarded hire that did not pan out. Um, And I feel like so much of this is just a crapshoot that, you know, judging, judging the hire by, you know, you know, how well you can go out and steal another coach or, you know, flex your muscles and, you know, do all this is just a bad way to do it. When looking at his like actual credentials, I think the most glaring omission is he's never been a head coach before. You know, I think that's the biggest thing, but I feel like every other box, you know, he ticks like. Uh, his defenses, um, from looking at uh, SP plus and FEI, have been really, really solid. Um, he has the connections you want to have uh, in the in the recruiting, you know, Virginia recruiting footprint. He has the big time program experience in terms of you know understanding what it takes to lead a big time program, and he seems, from what I've read, fairly well. Uh, network, which is what you need to build a big time staff, right? Uh, you know, kind of going back to Bill O'Brien a little bit, I mean Bill O'Brien would have been a great football coach, but Virginia Tech does not need a football coach. They need a face of the program. and I think it's really like is I, I get much more of a sense and this is just you know a feeling that you know pry uh, could fill that role now whether or not I, I mean, I'm really excited for his press conference on thursday i think that's going to be our first real glimpse into like what type of energy is he bringing what type of attitude he's bringing he's already made like one strong move by keeping jc price we already talked about and 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 promoting him to associate head coach i think that's a really good look i saw uh, on twitter that he's already um beating with the current uh, uh excuse me former players so like literally the first thing he's doing so like you know, either he's gotten some really good notes from, like, Wit because, you know, <laughs> Wit said, like, these are things that we didn't do well the last time around, so I want you doing them from day one, or he's doing them. But either way, he's doing them, right? right. So I think that's it's really good. Um, it feels like it's going to be, like, a CEO-ish type hire, but I, I love that he has such a strong X's and O's background. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's another, you know, that's great that he has that, and maybe he does work. Closer with the defense and the offense, but, um, I don't know. I'm super excited. Uh, I, I feel like I, I said something like this on, uh, you know, Twitter, it's just, it's refreshing to have some hope in the future of the program again. You know what I mean? I think that's like, I think we've all said this in our own, uh, our own way. And, but it's just great to actually be like, okay, we've this, the Fuente is behind us. It didn't, he just He just wasn't the right fit culturally, and that just really manifested itself and kind of undid or – I don't know what the right word is, but just really just blocked him from doing anything he really wanted to do at the highest level. Then it trickled all the way down. But now we have a guy who I think um, can bring some of that to the table. So, you know, it's super early to (laughs) – I feel like so much of this reaction I know you guys – you know, feel the same way, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's not the splash hire, but I think that's okay, like, you don't have to have the splash hire, when you look at this guy's credentials, you're like, okay, this makes a lot of sense, like, this is a good, it's a great wit hire, in terms of, like, I kind of feel like Fuente was the splash hire, Uh, and then, you know, I I hate doing the Mike Young comparison, because, like, I think it's been, you know, overdone, But I think, like, Mike Young was a good, like, wit hire in terms of, like, fit and culture. And it's, like, I don't think, like, wit or tech, like, um, sacrificed, you know, culture for, you know, high upside either. You know what I mean? I think, you know, probably could come in and and fail spectacularly, right? (laughs) He doesn't have any head coaching experience. That might happen. But I I think when you look at, like, what he brings uh, to the table, I feel like there's, you know... I, I don't know how you don't feel good about it. You know what I mean? Like other than, you know, the head coaching experience, but there's a ton of great head coaches that <laughs> there's no formula, right? Like well,
1: you can be a head coach prior and still fail. Like it doesn't, it doesn't right. actually mean anything. And the, yeah, sure. You can learn a little bit more from being a head coach. And so much of what we do as fans in terms of how we evaluate the hire, especially initially is based on how those coaches are viewed in the media and like the reason we didn't hear brent Pry's name i'm not sure you know why we didn't hear it six months ago like we were hearing napier or whatever probably because he's not a head coach but there's a lot of coordinators that get buzzed too and he wasn't getting it but that is there are so many factors that go into that so then we judge the hire based on basically a, a pr movement by that guy's agent or whatever else This is a good hire on paper, and we can't really ask for anything more at this time. He's got a defensive mentality, as both of you guys said, which is something Virginia Tech holds near and dear to their heart. Godfrey put it as hiring a modern-day Bud Foster, which so many of our fans would have jumped at the chance many, many times over the years. Um, And so I I, I like the hire, and when I tossed it to Robbie initially, I didn't mean to make it sound like I wasn't excited – I, I said relieved because I was relieved it wasn't a bad hire. <laughs> like I was I was so nervous we were gonna get stuck in a tough position. And it was gonna be someone that God forbid, like Todd Grantham. I know I know Wit wouldn't do something like that, but you know what I mean. There was always that fear hanging out there that like please don't make an idiotic move. And he didn't. And we I we've been over this with Joe before. I believe that we can trust Wit. He On paper, Fuente was a good hire. He wasn't right for Virginia Tech, and he made a lot of missteps along the way. And I think Witt has learned from that, and Witt has nailed so many other things. And in my opinion, he nailed it again. I think Pry has every chance to be great as a head coach here. The Knox being no head coaching experience, and perhaps his age, which kind of go hand in hand. He was offered the Georgia Southern job, in 2013, 2014, he didn't take it to come with James Franklin to Penn State. And I think Franklin is not a personality everyone likes, but I do think it's a great person to learn from. He built up a program in the P5 who was a doormat. You can build up a Memphis and you can build up a Louisiana Lafayette and you can win on a G5 level, To but to build up a doormat P5 is big. And Brent Pry watched that and was a part of that all the way up. So I really do... Like the hire a lot. We got the stamp of approval from Beamer and Foster, um, both of which worked with him at some point when he was a GA with the Hokies. Um, and Bob Shoup and Franklin speak so highly of him. All of my family, you know, I have tons of family in the Penn State alumni. Um, they they love him. My uncle's been you know a huge Penn State football fan for forty years, and he expressed to me a couple days ago how much they would miss him if we they lost him to Virginia Tech. So. It's a it's a good move. The media likes him up there, which might be the most important thing for Virginia Tech at this point.
0: I'm curious to see what the staff looks like around him. I think that's going to be the big, and I, I think it's been mentioned, it's worth repeating, but yeah, that's, the staff that they put around him, you know, Witt was super adamant about like, he's got the money to commit to football now and I don't have any reason to doubt them, uh, or, you know, and doubt Witt. It's just, um, you kind of got to see it to believe it, I think. Right. And I. Okay, I mean, I'm curious to see what he's going to be getting paid, Like, I don't know, um, you know, first time and, you know, I don't know how how they'll balance all that out, but that'll be really interesting to see as well.
2: Uh, I mean, my guess is like, you know, but uh, let me say my hope is what Witt's going to do is something along the lines of like paying him less and then allocating more money for assistance around him and then building incentives in, uh, for him. Like that's what you should be doing at this point. If you're at, you know, if you listen to like the LSU, $95 million that just got paid, like, like we don't, we don't have that. That's not in our, you know, in our pocketbook right now. So I'm hoping it's, Hey, we're going to pay you a little bit less, but we're going to put incentives in there and then we're going to allocate more to the, the the staff that you have around you. And then the, the, assuming that you do well, then the incentives will kick in. And that's what I'm hoping that, that that seems like the right way at kind of the second tier power five jobs to start doing it. Right. Because we can't you can't compete. Can compete with like what the payments are at at the big time jobs anymore. So I I think I'm hoping that that's how they structure it and we'll we'll see if that's the case.
1: And that's the benefit of hiring a, a non-splash hire who maybe has competition yep. coming from multiple schools is that you can afford to, to pay him a little bit less, still get him to come and then spread that salary pool over the over the assistance and the auxiliary benefit in addition to that from getting prize that we might reduce Penn state's reach into Virginia a little bit. And that's something I'm very happy about. You look at his all time commits. He brought in Devin Ford, who we wanted desperately. He brought in Micah Parsons who might be defensive rookie of the year in the NFL this year. So he's, he's got like Joe said earlier, he ticks just about every box, the VA connections, the recruiting prowess, you know, Being well liked in the media and by his coworkers, like this is all important, and I I love it all. I just want to see, you know, obviously how it's going to turn out. But, um, but there's that staff is is a good point, Joe. And I don't know where we're going to go with OC, but our fans are dying to know who the OC is going to be. You had said something on Twitter about how important the strength coach is because they're the offseason head coach and i believe that too it looks like we'll have jc it looks like we'll probably have ryan smith but other than that there's steinies being floated around i have no idea who we're going to get from oc but i'm very curious to find out
0: i guess we'll we'll see what he's thinking about what type of football he wants to play based on that uh coordinator hire whether or not he wants to lean into much more of a defensive kind of you know um
1: ground a pound
0: Yeah, ground and pound. I was going to use the Michigan kind of man ball thing, you know, their man ball philosophy. When you look at Michigan, I mean, Michigan, I don't know. I'm assuming uh, everyone watched Michigan, Ohio State. I mean, you watched that game and, you know, Michigan just beat their ass so bad in the trenches. I mean, that to me is, was very much appealing, you know, to me in terms of, you know, what, what I Virginia Tech football kind of used to be, you know, Um, you have, you know, just really dominating the line of scrimmage, um, being able to lean on a great defense, having running backs that are athletic. I mean, you look at like the interesting thing about the game. You got Blake Corum, and then you have uh, Henderson, both Virginia products, and they're playing for two, uh, you know, Big Ten schools. And it's like, well, why these kids can be averaging at attack behind, you know, uh, a, a solid offensive line, and with a solid defense. You know, I I'd be okay you know, personally with that sort of approach, it's just whatever it is, you know, I think just having, you
1: have a strategy. Have yeah,
0: exactly. You just have to, and I just, it was a big thing and I, I struggle with articulating this and especially like writing about it, but like, that's just the thing I never got from Fuente. It just always seemed like the only thing that I could, you know, you know, he's a, there was just a bunch of buzzwords and a bunch of cliches and a bunch of you know, kind of coach speak, I I think the only thing, and it's not a good thing, is what we said before, is that he just always over, overthought everything, like, that was the only thing he did with any sort of consistency, and that's not good, so, you know, whatever it is, you know, this, I I hope Pry, you know, I think there is something to say, too, for being, like, you know, new to the job, like, he's had his entire career to think about how he's going to do things, and, you know, how, what he, what he wants his program to be, and, like, you know, now he's getting a pretty good program to, you know, to model. Right. So, I mean, that's gotta be super exciting for him, like being able to step into a role like that and have his ideas and, you know, you know, get after stuff. So.
1: And we've talked a little bit about going after the defensive guy. And these days it does seem like the defensive guys, defensive coordinators, specialists, whatever, they've kind of taken a backseat to the Lane Kiffins of the world and, Everyone kind of wants to go after that hot offensive name. But the two best coaches of all time in pro and in college, Saban and Belichick, they're both defensive guys. And so there is, I still think, and I've always thought for Virginia Tech, a defensive guy makes more sense. Frank was kind of a defensive special teams guy, but the idea was there. Um, And so for that reason, I'm I'm very much on board with this. I'm not saying I want to do... the running game and, and pair it like that. Like we need a passing game. You need to be able to pass in today's football, but I do like the defensive head coach in general. And I think, I think it's climbing back.
2: You look at Georgia, Georgia is about to put out one of the best defenses that's ever existed in college football history. Um, So I think there's a little bit of resurgence of that thought process that if you can get talent, that is that good and you can create that much havoc And, you know, uh, then it can, Georgia is not going to win the national champion. They are going to win the national championship this year, but it's only going to be because of their defense. They have, you know, Stenson, Ben. it's like, you know, they have tools like in there, but it's really their defense that's really going to end up doing it. And I think that has helped um, people realize, and it's always ebbs and flows. It goes one way or the other. Yep. It's you know it, it's it you know, offense is going to be a thing and then defense is going to be a thing and I think we might be on a swing back to people appreciating defense especially well, look at what Michigan just did to Ohio State yeah. I mean you can say whatever you want that game was about defense I mean they that that defense mauled Ohio State in the trenches like, and Ohio, Ohio State
1: couldn't speed. stop Michigan and that was yeah. and it was a problem
0: but I, yeah that was my count, my. I, To to clarify a little bit, I'm not looking to the days of like you know, 200 yards of offense and hope a defense holds. I just want, you know, I think the, the the lunch pail and the culture, you know, the the blue collar Virginia Tech culture where we're gonna have stronger dudes, we're gonna have bigger dudes, and we might lose the football game, but you're gonna at the end of the game, you're gonna feel like you got into you know. Uh, you got your ass kicked, like the weird, bar fight. Weird. It's it's the Iowa, yeah, it's the exactly. Iowa
2: type football, which uh, Iowa Wisconsin. I, I, lo- I love Iowa's style of football, yep. and Wisconsin does it differently. They do it in the trenches on the offensive line, but it still is right. good. It still is beautiful. Like it is, what? we are going to yeah. beat the shit out of you on on the line. And guess what? Deal with it.
0: I mean, my, I mean, Alabama's like that. Now Georgia's like that. Now, uh, Miami, like when Miami was Miami, I mean, those, those dudes, like they came and they just, they hit you on offense and on defense. Like, I mean, you were in, you know, for a, for a tough, uh, uh, tough football game. I, when I was watching Ohio state Michigan, I made a joke and it was rooted somewhat in seriousness, but I saw two of the Ohio state linemen wearing long sleeves. And I was like, First as soon as I saw it in my head I was like they're losing today and I know it's like I mean but I mean you you have to have that mentality like of like I'm not going to I don't give a shit about the cold I'm here to like beat this beat the hell out of my the guy across from me in the trenches and I just want to make him feel pain for the next 60 minutes like that is what football is at you know I, I love the sport because it's so many things but really at the end of the day it is there's a guy lined up across from you how far can you move him forward and not let him move you backwards? It really is, you know, and, and obviously like that's not the quarterback. Blocking and tackling.
1: So, blocking and I tackling. Mean,
0: it, it is, it is, it is a it is a um uh it, it, it's a Neanderthal sport, man. I mean, it's just, you know, blocking, tackling, hitting like, you know, you could have the best scheme in the world. And if someone comes up and hits you right and puts you on your ass, you're gonna think twice about you know, what you're going to be doing. And I, that's the culture I want to see kind of come back to Virginia tech of like, so kind uh, of
1: like, like hard, smart, tough players. Is that what you're looking for? We need dudes. Like, no, I I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm with you guys. We need to be a more f- physical football team, but you also need to modernize. And that's when when Godfrey added the modern day, bud Foster, I think that was key because right. there is, there is something to bud that was old school and hopefully pry is going to bring a little kind of updated version of that to Virginia tech. I think I'm just about done with, with pry. Are you guys good. Cause we're, we're getting a little bit long in the podcast and I wanted to talk about the bowl game, do some picks with you guys, but I, I feel good about the hire. I think we all do. And I don't want that to just be like, I wish kind of one of us was just hammering it just for the sake of it. But like it, it's, it's a good I'll, hire. I'll
2: hammer. I'll hammer the people that are hammering it because <laughs> anybody that like you know. I, I try not to get sucked into like the Twitter narrative of just like people talking out of their ass, but like it, it was as frustrating as ever watching people react to this hire like negatively because it's like, like, like maybe this is a good conversation to quickly have for like two minutes we continually say who's not coming to Virginia tech. Like you and I hit this Pete, like who are the people are not coming. And,
0: um,
2: yeah. Yeah. Maybe Campbell was a potential, but he was never coming. Like Brett Venables was never coming to Virginia tech. Like all these people. I don't know who, like people have these
1: expectations of like, if I don't know the the name of this hire, it sucks. And it's like that person probably knows 10 names across country. Yeah, but they yeah. they also don't know the names of the people that they actually would want. No, they and don't. if they didn't, <laughs> they don't. and if they
2: don't if they <laughs> don't know the names of them like and if I know the names, so I'll come up with 10 reasons why that person's not going to come to Virginia Tech. Like it, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense that like these people get stuck on these narratives of just like it has to be a big name splash hire. The vast majority of First of all, recognize where Virginia Tech is in the college football landscape first and foremost right now. Guess what? You're not LSU. You're not like you're not playing around in the, the muddy waters of the top 10, 15 elite teams. Sorry, we're we're not there right now. So you're not stealing like some big name coach. So like what was the name that you actually wanted? And if you can come up with like a viable name that actually had some reason to come from Virginia Tech then I'm open to hearing it but nobody has those it didn't make any sense why people are just bitching and moaning when really this is a awesome hire right like yeah yeah you may have won of Napier okay guess what Florida has more money they have more resources they have one of the most successful athletic programs in the entire country
1: get used to it yeah that's that's actually but there, there it has to be some realism here and I think we we landed in a good spot Joe did you have a final thought?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think just the fit, it's a really great fit with pride. Like, if you look, I think fit is really important and having someone, uh, a coach, uh, that fits right with the the school, the program, and the fan base, I think is really, really, you know, I think to over-index on, um, you know, having a, again, it's a crapshoot. I mean, splash hires don't, you know, I saw someone posted a screenshot of, like, uh, I guess the 2017 hiring cycle and it was like just a, you know, bus, bust, bust, bus. But like, I think that was like the year Willie Taggart. Or maybe that was 2018, yeah. whatever, but just a bunch of bus. And then it was like Luke Fickle, like B minus grade or something like that. And it's like, it, it, just no one knows. And it's just like, you gotta, you know, it's again, like to, it might not turn out to be a great hire, but I don't know how anyone can look at it on paper and say yeah. on paper, it's a bad hire on paper. It's a very, I think a very good hire, and with the JC Press
1: news and some of the commitments reaffirming, we've we've got some momentum rolling. And as soon as he says, "I'm holding and airing a spring game," he's got me. <laughs> like I'm yeah, I mean, happy.
0: Exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. It's such a low bar to clear. Like, yeah. <laughs> needs to make this you just band have, to, you have to put a, a spring game that pissed TV. me off. Well, i felt so like more. he has a. a a Twitter account that's actually somewhat active, and I'm like, oh man, what a what a novel concept! <laughs> what do you, yeah? What do
1: you know? It's it's like, just I've, that easy. Had
0: some articles about him recruiting, and it's like, oh wow, he wants to get four star recruits. That's that's great. That's new. <laughs> like, I, <I'm, laughs> it's
1: so. It's just like it. it tech. I, I know that we might have gotten a bad rap the last four or five years because we have these too high of expectations, quote unquote. But like, man, you're right. Like, these are not. We want good recruits. We want a spring game. We want fan engagement. We want to be able to go to scrimmages. Like, simple, simple right. stuff. Right. <laughs> anyway. All right. Let's talk about the bowl game quickly. we got a few possibilities now that we're 6-6. Six and six. And, in fact, it's, it's actually a pretty wide-ranging amount of possibilities. Military Bowl has already locked in ECU. So the chance we could play the Pirates in Annapolis, we've already done Annapolis He's a couple times, so... That seems likely, but I don't really not thrilled the thought. Pinstripe up in uh, New York City against a Big 10 team, Duke's Mayo with the potential for playing Shane Beamer and Charlotte seems pretty intriguing and we'd bring a lot of fans to that game. No one wants to go to the Sun Bowl or the Birmingham Bowl. Fenway would be something, but it's pretty far from from Tech and but I do think people would go. And then the last one I saw was the Gasparilla Bowl. It is a possibility because we got ten ACC teams eligible. That one's in Tampa versus the SEC. And those are all. Um, so
2: if I had to guess what was going to end up happening here, because those are all free picks, like they uh, get they pick whatever team they want to have come in, pretty much right yeah. on that on that level. So I think it's if I had to guess what's going to end up happening here, it's going to be the Duke's Mayo Bowl because I mean what I mean how much better narrative can you get against? Virginia Tech playing against Shane. I mean, that would, I know if I was coming up with like any way to make money, I would do that in a heartbeat because it'll be as crowded
1: as you could possibly expect with the South Carolina school and Virginia tech who's three hours away. Like that, that would be fun and it would be well attended. I do think the pinstripe bowl could be fun playing potentially Penn state who we just stole pry from in the pinstripe bowl would be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean it's a terrible bowl
1: but uh, I mean I would, uh, I would be honest with him but it's but that would be that would I be mean, fun as well but. the ACC ball ins are not great I mean <laughs> we yeah. did just get the holiday bowl back but that's on the upper tier so like that's going to be <laughs> NC state or That's Ray- going to go to Notre
0: Dame yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> with, 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 yeah, Notre Dame. I'm so surprised that such a well run conference like the ACC doesn't have great bowl tie ins. It really is shocking that, that yeah. that's not a thing. Yeah. Well,
2: we did get, Com- we did get Comcast today. So that's, yeah, a- yeah. here we go. That? <laughs> yeah.
1: ACC network will be on Comcast slash Xfinity starting <laughs> right after football season forever. Yeah. Right. So that's, <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, I don't, hopefully we don't end up I'm in just El Paso. I'm glad we made a ball. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad, glad we made, made a ball. A bowl. If we go to El Paso, it's fine. I'm not going to go to the game. If we go to New York, <laughs> I'll probably go to the game.
0: Like, I I, I would go. It, Charlotte, Annapolis would be a trip.
1: And yeah, Annapolis. Like I would, I
0: would very highly consider Annapolis.
1: I've done it a couple times. I've gone to the last two military bowls we were in. First one was absolutely great. We won. We beat Cincinnati. And the second one, we lost to Cincinnati in the pouring rain. That one wasn't fun but uh, ECU love to stick it to ECU, but there's a chance we could lose. I I don't, I don't know if I want to watch us lose to ECU in Annapolis. (laughs) (laughs) Please. God, no,
2: that game would be horrible. I mean, enough with the ECU. Yeah. Uh, The Charlotte
0: or Shane, I think would be very I think they have, I think that the way, um, I saw UNC was also the other, uh, trendy pick there. And I think it's just weighing, would they be bring more fans just because of proximity versus the enticing matchup?
1: Yeah, and I, I, I don't guess, think, do they have first pick that from that tier. Like, I don't know how it works. Like,
0: because if think they, I think when after the first couple of tiers, I I really think they all just kind of get together and try to. They there is a, a pecking order, but I do think that they try to gotcha work together it, a little bit to figure it out,
2: and they try and maximize money at that point. And, exactly. and quite honestly, like. I think we would fill out that stadium even better than North Carolina would. Oh, I agree. That's you know, So because we I have a much agree. better fan
1: base,
0: <laughs> agree, <laughs> yeah. agree. I agree. I just, I don't know if they think that, you know what I mean? I think yes. they might look at the proximity of it, but I do think, you know, tech fans would absolutely travel well to that game. Yeah, um, given a chain and I guess Charlotte. JC's last game in charge. That's um, right. I think, I think fans want to get behind him for another game. Yeah. Um, uh, It's Brad. It's going to be Brad Cornelison farewell tour. Everyone wants to go say, (sighs) ah, just, just send Brad out on the right note is a big, a big thing.
1: I'm so I'm like today I was thinking, oh, I don't have to watch Brad Cornelison swap quarterbacks again. I'm like, oh no, I do probably like I do (laughs) one more (laughs) time. (laughs) You have to one more time. You got to watch the jet sweep. Um, (laughs) let's do our picks guys. We got the title games. I just, I think I got six title games here. Uh, Picks against the spread. Pitt versus Wake Forest for the ACC title. Wake, three-point underdogs to Pitt right now. I'll start. I'm going to take Wake. <laughs> hmm.
2: That's a blow. Yeah, that's going to be a shootout. That, that game's going to be like a one-point game. So, uh, But I'm going to go Wake as well.
0: I'm going to take Wake too.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's tough. I mean, Pitt... Probably has the better defense, obviously, but Wake is just relentless on offense. And Pitt is, has shown, even against Duke at times, to struggle just just enough. So I'll, Wake and the points, I like it. SEC title, Georgia versus Bama. This is the big one people have been waiting for. Bama can get in the playoff if they can pull off the victory. Six-and-a-half-point underdogs to the undefeated Georgia Bulldogs. What do you guys think on this one? Robbie? why don't you go? The the only problem
2: for me is the spread. I thought it would be like a three point spread. That's a big spread. Um, I'm still going to take Georgia. I think Georgia is going to find a way to just stuff it down their throat, and I think they're capable of doing it. So we'll see.
0: Yeah, I'm taking Georgia to cover. I, I think they're. I I don't particularly think it's going to be. Um, it'll be, it'll be close on the scoreboard, uh, scoreboard, scoreboard, but. Uh, yeah, I don't think I don't I don't think you're gonna watch that game and be like, oh man, Alabama had a chance to win this one. I think Georgia's gonna take care of business. Yeah,
1: I I like Georgia to cover as well. And Bill O'Brien not the best showing against Auburn. Um Bama has weaknesses. They're they're a good offensive team, but they they can have a hard time getting it going too. So I'm gonna take Georgia to just get through that offensive line of Bama, which has struggled this year. And, uh, and take them down. Pac-12 title, Oregon versus Utah. Utah, three-point favorites. Utah has been on a freaking roll. Oregon's been a little up and down. Joe, why don't you start on this one?
0: Uh, I'm going to take Oregon. I don't really know. I don't know why. Didn't Utah Utah beat them last time out? Am I making this up? Am I, you, no, I Utah
1: kicked oh, their butt. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they they put the right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna take Oregon. I'm gonna take them to to avenge that.
2: Rob, this is tough. I I, I just love the grittiness. You know what? We're going with the gritty uh, podcast. So I'll just go with the
1: gritty uh, Utah team, even though I don't like the uh,
2: the spread. So do you
1: do you remember like maybe it was last year, or the year before, this same thing happened where. Yes. They played in the championship game and everyone thought Utah would crush and Yep. Utah fell on their face with a chance to go to the and, playoff or something. I can't remember. Yeah, and Oregon would, blew them out. Yeah, yeah. Oregon yeah. Oregon kicked their ass. So I don't I kind of think it's going to go in reverse. I think Utah is just going to maintain what they did last time and beat Oregon again. I'm going to take Utah. Big 12 title. Baylor versus OK State. We got Grimes up for the Broyles Award. Uh Baylor's had a great season. Oklahoma State, they got Knowles up for the Broyles Award, playing some good defense down there. Um, They probably shouldn't have beaten Oklahoma. Oklahoma was probably the better team in that game. I'm going to take Baylor to cover, but I could see this game going either way as far as the winner goes, but I'm taking Baylor in the points.
0: What's the spread? Five and a half. Baylor's favored by five and a half?
1: Baylor is five five and a half point underdogs to Oklahoma State. Oh, the wow. Dog, they're dogs. Oklahoma State's wow. they only got one loss, so they're doing well.
2: I'm going to take Oklahoma State.
0: Okay. I'm going to take – I'm going to take – I'm going to go with Baylor. I, I like Baylor. I think Baylor's – the few times I've watched them play this year, uh, they, they seem really sound defensively. And, uh, you know, I think Grimes, uh, that would be a really sneaky offensive uh, coordinator uh, kind of pull. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna go. With, I'm gonna go with Baylor. Dave I don't Aranda. Really do that much in Oklahoma State. Yeah, I mean Aranda's... Uh, yeah, I'm not a big. I don't know. Oklahoma State just moved the needle too much for me, especially like this year, more the defensive Oklahoma State versus you know what they've kind of been more known for. So, um, I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, this is their first championship, right? Like Big Twelve. Like they've never won the championship game.
1: I don't think so. You know, I have to go back yeah. and look. Maybe.
0: It's been Oklahoma yeah. some years. Yeah. Oklahoma, Kansas State, and uh I guess Cam- Texas
1: has won a few times, right? Texas. Like,
0: so, I don't think
1: yeah, I don't think Oklahoma
2: State has has won. So, so. Yeah, that's yeah, I mean. mean that's just not. Yeah.
1: All right. So Big Ten title Michigan versus Iowa. Not quite what we expected to see in this game. I think everyone last week thought it would be Ohio State and Wisconsin. All right. But, this is just Michigan. This isn't even worth the conversation. <laughs> I mean, I was is... ten and a half point underdogs. They play good D. Uh, you don't think that Iowa could cover that ten and a half with that hook? Yeah, in like a maybe like in a twelve
2: to eleven game somehow. <laughs> like yeah, I, mean, like, I I
0: I think Iowa's going to cover. To be quite quite honest, I feel like that is uh we got
2: a current. Kurt Ferentz uh, lover over here. I feel like that's
0: a Kurt Ferentz special, like covering <laughs> the sort of game. Like you think they're just going to get blown out. Like he, and and we, we said this earlier, he knows how to keep this close and he knows how to, you know, he's going to have, you know,
2: coming off they out. have the worst offense basically in the entire country. They do.
1: And, but coming <laughs> off that Ohio state game for Michigan, like this is a pick yourself back up emotionally game and get revved up for Iowa. It's, it's not maybe going to be that easy. So I could see Iowa covering. I can't see Iowa winning, although stranger things have happened. Mm, I'm going to take Iowa to cover.
0: I don't love it. <laughs> in, what, in what world would it we have to live in to where Iowa beats Michigan – is there any sort of scenario where Ohio State gets back into the playoff picture?
1: I don't think so because Notre Dame's already locked in with one loss. So like they can't yeah, so. like they
0: can't be jumped by Ohio State. I don't yeah,
1: think Yeah, because uh yeah, Or yeah, if Cincinnati loses. Well, well, if
2: Cincinnati loses, then you need Cincinnati and to lose. You need Alabama to lose, Cincinnati to lose, Michigan to lose, Baylor and to Baylor, Baylor, Baylor or no,
1: Baylor. Oklahoma State to lose, Yeah, Oklahoma State to yeah. lose. Yeah, I mean, yes, and then, we could and get a two-loss team in the playoff if all of those things happen. It, it well, yeah. you,
2: that would be a parlay like if for ages.
0: But do you think? See, I think the committee would put a two-loss Ohio State in over like a one-loss. Well, I don't know. One loss. Yeah. I was gonna say one-loss Oklahoma State. It's really hard though if they're Big Twelve, you know, Big Twelve champions. I mean, that playoff committee does love that Ohio State money. Like that's a big. I feel like they try to figure out a way to to get them in there. That, they got demolished in that Michigan game. You know what? Demolished. I'm
1: taking Michigan. I'm switching my pick. No, no, no Iowa. I'm taking Michigan to, to, <laughs> we to cover. Talked All right. you,
0: we talked you off it. Last, last
1: game, AAC, <laughs> Houston versus Cincinnati. Cincinnati, 10 and a half point favorites in this game. Houston, one loss, but has played a very poor strength of schedule. And so, this is... This is hard for me because I thought Houston would give Cincinnati a game. I kind of been thinking it, but after that SMU crushing, I'm I'm thinking that Cincinnati's going to the one out. where so, I picked Cincinnati. And you you, picked, you uh, did, SMU. Robbie. You were right. <laughs> you got it right, and I got it did, very uh, wrong. What do you Michael got in this one, Joe?
0: Send you guys an email to talk about this game on the show. Are they looking <laughs> the, the AAC commissioner to pump it and up to pump it up a little bit? Talk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did he send you? He's like power six guys, not power five. Is that why we're talking <laughs> about this matchup? Picking, picking the the P six
1: on the uh, the yard markers, <laughs> the, yeah. Um P six. No, I'm going to take Cincy. I, I'm I'm going to learn from my error. It's a big game. What's the spread? It's ten and a half. Cincy's favored, obviously. So, I'm taking Cincy.
0: Cincy's looked bad at times this year. Um, they haven't, you know. I'm trying they to lay down to their opponents. That's what I well, they had
1: say. game day and they nearly lost to Tulsa.
0: Like, that's they, what I was going to, yeah. Hang on. I'll bring it up their schedule real quick. <laughs> I want to, and then they played SMU. I
1: told you they were going to yeah. wipe the floor and they wiped the floor. And you, you got SMU. that one right. And it's, and you were right. Like they had been playing down to their opponents. They couldn't get excited for Tulane. They couldn't get excited yeah, for Navy. Was, they couldn't get excited that, for Tulsa.
0: That's what I was thinking about was Tulane. I remember, you know, now at the bar
2: here's and- the problem is that their head coach is heading to another school. So you that think he's going to Notre Dame. A hundred percent. Yeah. There's not even a doubt in my mind. I, I think news already came out today that Notre Dame's waiting for uh
1: fickle to finish out the year.
2: Okay. I think there was
1: rumors already on Twitter about so, that. So, and that could be a distraction. Nevertheless, I'm taking to cover. Joe, what are you doing?
0: I'm I think I'm going to go with Houston and Robbie's gonna, did, uh, not, not to win out, not to win outright, but yeah, uh, I like, I like the spread.
1: No money line sprinkle on that. So uh. no. All right. That is going to do it for the podcast. We've, we've gone on a while. I'll probably slice and dice this up a little bit, but thank you, Joe, for coming on. You are always a pleasure. Yeah, to have. You, on. Getting, getting I have fun, your perspective yeah. and make sure to check out the key play all of Joe's work, all of French's work, Mark Erlini, Uh, He, he just brought on Shelton Moss to do some coverage for them. So it's, it's going to be a good winner with Hokie basketball and the new coach. Go to TK, you know, the key play.com become a key play. Key players Club key member, play club. right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Robbie, do you have anything to close out or should I just run through my normal, you know, I'm ready for the next piece. I, I think the, I think the offensive,
2: I was I was right about the head coach. We'll put it that way. I said it's gonna be somebody that we aren't thinking about. And guess what? My other speculation is I think it's gonna be a really big offensive coordinator hire. That's it. I hope that's I my hope so. that that's my awesome.
1: that's my that's my guess. Well, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Uh our website is 2DVT.com. You can stream all of our episodes there. Check out you know where our merch is available beers Robbie's stats and send us an email if you have any comments questions or concerns it's two deep vt at gmail.com and until next time when we are hopefully know the destination and are playing Shane Beamer in the Duke's Mayo Bowl <laughs> go Hokies